<sighs> the only thing that's stopping me from being great is that I don't have soundproofing. Greetings, wary travelers. I don't remember what it is I call you guys because it's been way too long. Welcome to Do You Know This Story? I'm your host, Jory. And today we are going to talk about a lot of things, actually. Of course, our main topic, hairs, you know, H-A-R-E-S. Uh, and we are going to have a special creature feature topic because in one of our stories, we're going to encounter a creature that I've never heard of and apparently no one's ever seen. So be prepared for that good time. Our author of the day is Andrew Lang and our pop culture reference is Broadway's Into the Woods. So this is going to be a jam-packed episode full of all kinds of good stuff. Good, good stuff. So a few housekeeping notes before we begin. The podcast is going to update on the 8th and 28th of every month with hopefully some bonus episodes probably airing on the 18th. That depends on, well, reception, interest, my ability to get guests on the show because I would like to do like some special episodes that are very much like the first episode where I have a guest that I read to and we discuss anything and everything that revolves around that topic of the episode. Also, if my voice sounds wrong, it's because no matter what I do, my allergies have decided that, nah, what's the point of having a voice? And it's like, <laughs> my voice is everything. You should know this by now. Anyway, that's further, that's beside the point. That's off topic. Let's just get into the study of hairs. So if you'll remember from our episode featuring rabbits, hairs are basically rabbits' cousins. Um, they, you know, they're not domesticated, which I guess makes sense. But also I wonder how would they be as pets? I do know that people eat them, but it seems like you have to hunt them down in the wild. And honestly, things like rabbits or hares, I could never eat because I think they're cute. My general rule is I don't eat things that I consider cute, so chickens are fair game. Anyway, <laughs> so unlike rabbits, hares are like, hares are tougher than rabbits if you think about it. So they live in above ground nest, and because of this, a newborn hare is born with its fur and its eyes open. Whereas a rabbit is born without hair and is basically blind. Their eyes are closed for X amount of time until they get bigger and their hair comes in and they can freely run around outside in the wild and still have a chance of being survi of surviving. But, uh, yeah, birds. <sighs> birds. <laughs> so... They also tend to have longer ears. Um, every time I see a rabbit, their ears do stand up. But also, if you like see a domesticated bunny, their ears are down. And honestly, I should have done this. I should have seen that there's a difference between a bunny and a rabbit and a hare. But anyway, let's talk about hares and their symbolism in reference to these two stories that I'm going to have. So actually, let me interject this with also, let's talk about Andrew Lang for a second. Andrew Lang collected fairy tales from around the world. So his entire collection comes from very many different places. Today, I'm going to be reading from two of his fairy books. 
the pink fairy book and the brown fairy book. Um, our story in the pink fairy book is a tale from Africa, and the story in the brown fairy book is a Native American tale. We're going to see a lot of overlap from the episode about rabbits to hares because they're, they're the same, but there is no but. They're just, they're the same. They both, there's no real differences between them except for like in some countries, a rabbit has more sway than a hare and then like a hare might be considered. Okay, I consider hares to be a bit more evil compared to the rabbits, but they're both kind of bad. <laughs> it depends on the story, really. You'll see what I mean when I get there. So in African and also African-American folklore, hares are regarded as a trickster character, much like rabbits. And the best example of this is the character Rare Rabbit and in Native American folklore, they are the same as their cousins, the rabbit. Wait, what did I just say? Yeah, in Native American folklore, they are the same as their cousins and are still tricksters. So hares, rabbits everything in that family the the lupus lupine i don't remember it's not lupine lupine is something else they're tricksters they be tricking okay that sounded wrong never mind but anyway they're tricksters if it's a rabbit or a hare or if it has long ears it's gonna be a trickster if you'll remember i discussed that i was very perplexed at how every story i read that involved a native american rabbit they seemed to eat meat and that confused me like a lot and so I kept trying to research and research on why that might be and I just could not find it I feel like I would have to call somebody very important in order to get the answer to that question and why would anyone answer my calls anyway so but if you remember it's from that free from that rabbit hole <laughs> from that rabbit hole I ended up discovering that National Geographic did find out that hares living in Canada have turned to being omnivorous so they went from being from being plant eaters in like the spring and summer and I guess possibly fall to being carnivorous <laughs> to being carnivorous uh in the winter months and in a funny twist of the animal kingdom they actually if they aren't eating like each other they will eat their natural predator which is a lynx so if they come upon a lynx carcass they're just gonna be like haha revenge and just munch 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 on their innards and maybe their bones i don't know about their bones but definitely their meat and their flesh <sighs> the horror the absolute terror anyways now you know canadian hares are about that life so now that we have that study of hairs out of the way, I wanted to keep it short because later this episode is going to get long and I, I cannot. Now, the stories that we are going to get into today, they are called The Cunning Hare, which is the Native American story, and The Little Hare, which is the African story. Now, like I said, we are going to discuss Andrew Lang because he was a very interesting dude, and quite frankly, his collection of fairy tales, um, I actually have the whole collection here. It's 12 books. Um, they're all different colors, and it's basically the vastest collection of global fairy tales that you could probably find. That being said, you aren't going to get like every fairy tale ever written in his collection. You're going to get a good like... It's just a good library that you might not be able to find if you have, say, like me, I have the 
has Christian Anderson fairy tales. I have the Arabian Nights. I have some Chinese myths and legends. Um, some Japanese folk tales. I got a lot um, going on over here, but I definitely don't have enough from different regions of the world. Like I don't have very many um, African. Well, I do have an African collection, but like Middle Eastern, like Turkish or Greece. Um, I have, I only have some Russian, not a lot. So it's a very good, very comprehensive collection of stories that A, I've never even heard of and B, more people should hear about them. So when the powers that be finally dis decide what I can and cannot talk about. There's just going to always be a chance that we're going to discuss Andrew Lang. Because like I said, 12 books. So he has a lot to say. So let's get into it. Andrew Lang was born on March 31st in 1844 in Selkirk, Selkirkshire, Scotland. Uh, he died at the age of 68 on July 20th, 1912 in Bankery, no, Aberdeenshire. Scotland. He is regarded as a man of letters, and he graduated from St. Andrew's University in Scotland and the Belial College of Oxford in England. So, in addition to gathering a collection of fairy tales from around the world, Lang also wrote his own original fairy tales and poems. Oh, and fun fact, if you've ever read the Odyssey or the Iliad, there's probably a chance that you've read Lang's poetic translations of it because he loved Homer. Like, that was one of his favorite poets, ancient Greek poets to study. So, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I certainly don't know if I have because I cannot remember the ninth grade. It was fun, but I can't remember most of it. It's been a while. Now, because of this, he's basically like a cultural anthropologist. So, his work is still very much important in the academic world. Since, in addition to being a writer, he was also a journalist, a critic, a historian, and as I said, anthropologist. He was the eldest of eight children and he was from a well-off family, which is why he had first-class education. In 1875, he married a woman named Lenora Blanche Alleyne, who co-authored and translated his collection of fairy tales known as the Rainbow Fairy Books. So they worked on it together. Honestly, that sounds so romantic. I want to work on a book with someone. Anyway, so his work in folklore explained... Exp Okay, so I totally forgot that I was going to have to go down this. I'm going to have to make a left turn in why were people like this news. Anyway, so his work in folklore involved explaining the irrational elements in ancient, in ancient mythologies and how they were developed by ancient humans as a means of survival. So Lang's anthrop anthropologic writings were influenced by the extremely problematic concept of the noble savage and i will not be discussing it because i need to do more research on it i just know that it is very problematic and we do not have time to discuss it because it's a lot and let's just say as great as the guy was racial undertones were still a thing he was still a white man with bias so, so, long story short, Lang, 18th century smarty pants, his overall impact on the academic world is still very, very important. But now, let's discuss our creature feature. And it is an African creature known as the, the Niamatsane. Okay, I also want to point out that I looked everywhere, and I mean everywhere, for any sort of reference and re and researchers 
just there is not a lot of research on this creature because um if it's from africa then there's a good chance that this folklore was not written down until like maybe the 1800s just because oral tradition was more important than writing things down for basically for a lot of different cultures around the world it's just like nah just be told the story and remember it and then you can tell it to your kids and that might be easy back in the good old days when not everybody had to study algebra and (laughs) just have their mind constantly getting a new flow of information every single day but like i said well actually that's neither here nor there the niamatsune originate from basuto folklore the area known as basuto land which is today called the king of Lesotho is the largest enclaved country in the world and is surrounded by the country of South Africa. So if you look up the country, the kingdom of Lesotho, you're just going to see like this huge sea of South Africa and then a tiny little island and that's the kingdom of Lesotho. I don't know how they managed to do it, but they did. So... <laughs> Um, a poor description of what the Niamatsune possibly look like, because we don't know. <laughs> Nobody does. They're the most mysterious creature I've ever come across in all of my studies of mythological beasts. And that's saying something. So, my very bad description. I, <laughs> they're basically a cryptid. The Niamatsunes are hard to categorize, but I would say they're somewhere between like a goblin and an ogre. Um, But the issue is that they only appear in this one story that I'm going to read to you today. And they, they are not given a physical description in this story. Like if you said to probably some ancient group of kids who were like, beware of them, the Nimatsune. And they were going to be all like, ah, the terror, the horror. We don't like that. They're ugly and scary, and everyone probably knew exactly what a Niamatsune looks like. But now we have no real idea, so everyone's idea of what they do look like and should look like is going to vary. For example, the illustration in the Pink Fairy book that I have um, has them drawn kind of like they're humanoid figures. They have long tails, kind of like monkey tails. I, Because of this illustration, I can't tell if they're covered in fur or if they just have really dark skin. I want to say they just have really dark skin. I wonder if it's supposed to be scaly. Like, I'm looking at it right now and I just don't know. It looks like it's supposed to be some sort of scaled skin. Uh, They got big eyes. They have horns on the tops of their heads and pointed devilish ears on the sides of their heads. They got that underbite with the fangs poking out. Uh, Some of them, they walk on both their legs. Some of them use their knuckles for support while walking walking so they're kind of like a demonic they're like an ape but also a demon an ape demon and niamatsune so that gives you a terrible description but here's another description that i found from a painting uh by an artist known as Wojtek Kubusta. Now, his illustration is actually not as scary sounding. It's not that scary. It's just like the Niamatsune and that are just little, they're just little chimpanzees. This is not as scary, I would say. I would say the Pink Fairy book version is much scarier, and I suggest imagining the creatures as 
demonic looking ape things if that if you want it to be a scary experience if you don't want it to be a scary experience just imagine that they're monkeys without tails because that's basically what they are like i said a terrible description one of these days i will find out where i can freely post these pictures i am thinking about making a tumblr account for this podcast but like tumblr so we'll see we'll see um i'll try to get some images on the discord and on the facebook group as well uh i think that would probably be best for now because the the actually yes the rainbow fairy books are the only books in my collections well no not the only books the irish fairy tale book also has illustrations of like these different scenes and things like that so i can definitely upload some of those pictures for you okay so that was the niamatsune got it get it demonic monkey good don't let that image leave your head because we're about to get to it it's time for the story of the little hare a long long way off in a land where water is very scarce there lived a man and his wife and several children one day the wife said to her husband i am pining to have the liver of a niamatsane for my dinner if you love me as much as you say you do you will go out and hunt for a niamatsane and will kill it and get its liver if not i shall know that your love is not worth having bake some bread was all her husband answered then take the crust and put it in this little bag the wife did as she was told and when she had finished she had said to her husband the bag is already and quite full very well said he and now good-bye i'm going after the niamatsane but the niamatsane was not so easy to find as the woman had hoped the husband walked on and on and on without ever seeing one and every now and then he felt so hungry that he was obliged to eat one of the crusts of bread out of his bag at last when he was ready to drop from fatigue he found himself on the edge of a great marsh which bordered on one side of the country of the niamatsanes but there were no more niamatsanes here than anywhere else they had all gone on a hunting expedition as their larder was empty and the only person left at home was their grandmother who was so feeble she never went out of the house our friend looked on as this a great piece of luck and made haste to kill her before the others returned and to take out her liver after which he dressed himself in her skin as well as he could he had scarcely done this when he heard the noise of the niamatsanes coming back to their grandmother for they were very fond of her and never stayed away from her longer than they could help they rushed clattering into the hut exclaiming we smell human flesh some man is here and began to look about for him but they only saw their old grandmother who answered in a trembling voice no my children no what should any man be doing here the niamatsanes paid no attention to her and began to open all the cupboards and peeped under all the beds crying out all the while a man is here a man is here but they could find nobody and at length tired out with their long day's hunting they curled themselves up and fell asleep next morning they woke up quite refreshed and made ready to start on another expedition but as they did not feel happy about their grandmother they said to her grandmother won't you come today and feed with us and they led their grandmother outside and all of them began hungrily to eat pebbles 
Our friend pretended to do the same, but in reality, he slipped the stones into his pouch and swallowed the crust of bread instead. However, as the Neomatsunes did not see this, they had no idea that he was not really their grandmother. When they had eaten a great many pebbles, they thought they had done enough for that day, and all went home together and curled themselves up to sleep. Next morning, when they woke, they said, Let us go and amuse ourselves by jumping over the ditch. And every time, they cleared it with a bound. Then, they begged their grandmother to jump over it too. And, with a tremendous effort, she managed to spring right over to the other side. After this, they had no doubt at all of its being their true grandmother, and went off to their hunting <laughs> leaving our friend at home in the hut as soon as they had gone out of sight our hero made haste to take the liver from the place where he had put it and threw off the skin of the old niamatsune and ran away as hard as he could only stopping to pick up a very brilliant and polished little stone which he put in his bag by the side of the liver towards evening the niamatsunes came back to the hut full of anxiety to know how their grandmother had got on during their absence the first thing they saw on entering the door was her skin lying on the floor. And then they knew that they had been deceived, and they said to each other, So we were right, after all, and it was human flesh we smelt. Then they stooped down to find traces of the man's footsteps, and when they had got them, instantly set out in hot pursuit. Meanwhile, our friend had journeyed many miles and was beginning to feel quite safe and comfortable, when, happening to look around, he saw in the distance a thick cloud of dust moving rapidly. His heart stood still within him, and he said to himself, I am lost. It is the Niamatsunes, and they will tear me in pieces. And indeed, the cloud of dust was drawing near with amazing quickness, and the Niamatsunes almost felt as if they were already devouring him. Then, as a last hope, the man took the little stone that he had picked up out of his bag and flung it on the ground. The moment it touched the soil, it became a huge rock whose steep sides were smooth as glass, and on top of it, our hero hastily seated himself. It was in vain that the Neomatsunes tried to climb up and reach him. They slid down again much faster than they had gone up, and by sunset, they were quite worn out and fell asleep at the foot of the rock. No sooner had the Nianmatsunes tumbled off to sleep than the man stole softly down and fled away as fast as his legs would carry him. And by the time his enemies were awake, he was a very long way off. They sprang quickly to their feet and began to sniff the soil around the rock in order to discover traces of his footsteps, and they galloped after him with terrific speed. The chase continued for several days and nights. Several times the Neomatsunes almost reached him, and each time he was saved by his little pebble. Between his fright and his hurry, he was almost dead of exhaustion when he reached his own village, where the Neomatsunes could not follow him because of their enemies, the dogs, which swarmed all over the roads. So they returned home. Then our friend staggered into his own hut and called to his wife, Icho, how tired I am. Quick! Give me something to drink, then go and get fuel and light a fire. So she did what she was bid, and then her husband took the Niamatsune's liver from his pouch and said to her, There, I have brought you what you wanted, and now you know that I love you truly. And the wife answered, It is well. Now go and take out the children so that I may remain alone in the hut. 
and as she spoke she lifted down an old stone pot and put on the liver to cook her husband watched her for a moment and then said be sure you eat it all yourself do not give a scrap to any of the children but eat every morsel up so the woman took the liver and ate it all by herself directly the last mouthful had disappeared she was seized with such violent thirst that she caught up a great pot full of water and drank it in a single draught then having no more in the house she ran in next door and said neighbor give me i pray you something to drink the neighbor gave her a large vessel quite full and the woman drank it off in a single draught and held it out for more but the neighbor pushed her away saying no i shall have not much for my children so the woman went into another house and drank all the water she could find but the more she drank the more thirsty she became she wandered in this manner through the whole village till she had drunk every water pot dry then she rushed off to the nearest spring and swallowed that and when she had finished all the springs and wells about she drank up first the river and then a lake but by this time she had drunk so much that she could not rise from the ground in the evening when it was time for the animals to have their drink before going to bed they found the lake quite dry and they had to make up their minds to be thirsty till the water flowed again and the streams were full even then for some time the lake was very dirty and the lion as king of the beasts commanded that no one should drink till it was quite clear again but the little hare who was fond of having his own way and was very thirsty besides stole quietly off when all the rest were asleep in their dens and crept down to the margin of the lake and drank his fill then he smeared the dirty water all over the rabbit's face and paws so that it might look as if it were he who had been disobeying big lion's orders the next day as soon as it was light big lion marched straight for the lake and all the other beasts followed him he saw at once that the water had been troubled again and was very angry who has been drinking my water said he and the little hare gave a jump and pointing to the rabbit he answered look there it must be he why there is mud all over his face and paws the rabbit frightened out of his wits tried to deny the fact exclaiming oh no indeed i never did but big lion would not listen and commanded them to cane him with a birch rod now the little hare was very much pleased with his cleverness in causing the rabbit to be beaten instead of himself and went about boasting of it at last one of the other animals overheard him and called out little hare little hare what is that you are saying but the little hare hastily replied i only asked you to pass me my stick an hour or two later thinking that no one was near him he said to himself again it was really i who drank up the water but i made them think that it was the rabbit but one of the beasts whose ears were longer than the rest caught the words and went to tell big lion about it do you hear what the little hare is saying so big lion sent for the little hare and asked him what he meant by talking like that the little hare saw that there was no use trying to hide it so he answered pertly I, it was i who drank the water but i made them think it was the rabbit then he turned and ran as fast as he could with all the other beasts pursuing him they were almost up to him when he dashed into a very narrow cleft in the rock much too small for them to follow but 
In his hurry, he had left one of his long ears sticking out, which they just managed to seize. But pull as hard as they might, they could not drag him out of the hole. And at last, they gave up and left him, with his ear very much torn and scratched. When the last tail was out of sight, the little hare crept cautiously out, and the first person he met was the rabbit. He had plenty of impudence, so he put a bold face on the matter and said, Well, my good rabbit, you see I have had a beaten as well as you. But the rabbit was still sore and sulky, and he did not care to talk, so he answered coldly, You have treated me very badly. It was really you who drank that water and you accused me of having done it. Oh, my good rabbit. Never mind that. I've got such a wonderful secret to tell you. Do you know what to do so as to escape death? No, I don't. Well, you must begin by digging a hole. So they dug a hole, and then the little hare said, The next thing is to make a fire in the hole. And they set to work to collect wood and lit quite a large fire. When it was burning brightly, the little hare said to the rabbit, Rabbit, my friend! Throw me into the fire, and when you hear my fur crackling, and I call, Ichi, Ichi, then be quick and pull me out. The rabbit did as he was told, and threw the little hare into the fire. But no sooner did the little hare begin to feel the heat of the flames, than he took some green bay leaves he had plucked for the purpose, and held them in the middle of the fire, where they crackled and made a great noise. Then he called loudly, Ichi, Ichi, rabbit, my friend, be quick, be quick. Don't you hear how my skin is crackling? And the rabbit came in a great hurry and pulled him out. Then the little hare said, now it is your turn. And he threw the rabbit in the fire. The moment the rabbit felt the flames, he cried out, Ichi, Ichi, I am burning. Pull me out, quick, my friend. But the little hare only laughed and said, no, you may stay there. It's your own fault. Why were you such a fool as to let yourself be thrown in? Didn't you know that fire burns? And in a very few minutes, nothing was left of the rabbit but a few bones. When the fire was quite out, the little hare went and picked up one of these bones and made a flute out of it and sang his song. Pee, pee, hee. Oh, flute that I love. Pee, pee. Rabbits are but little boys. Pee, pee. He would have burned me if he could. Pee, pee. But I burned him and he crackled finely. When he got tired of going through the world singing this, the little hare went back to his friends and entered the service of Big Lion. One day he said to his master, Grandfather, shall I show you a splendid way to kill game? what is it asked big lion we must dig a ditch and then you must lie in it and pretend to be dead big lion did as he was told and when he had lain down the little hare got up on a wall blew a trumpet and shouted pee pee all you animals come and see big lion is dead and now peace will be directly they heard this they all came running the little hare received them and said pass on this way to the lion so they all entered into the animal kingdom last of all came the monkey with her baby on her back she approached the ditch and took a blade of grass and tickled big lion's nose and his nostrils moved in spite of his efforts to keep them still then the monkey cried come my baby climb on my back and let us go 
What sort of a dead body is it that can still feel when it is tickled? And she and her baby went away in fright. Then the little hare said to the other piece, Now shut the gate of the animal kingdom. And it was shut. The great stones were rolled against it. When everything was tight closed, the little hare turned to Big Lion and said, Now! And Big Lion bounded out of the ditch and tore the other animals in pieces. But Big Lion kept all the choice bits for himself and only gave away the little scraps that he did not care about eating. And the little hare grew very angry and determined to have his revenge. He had long ago found out that Big Lion was very easily taken in. So he laid his plans accordingly. He said to him, as if the idea had just come into his head, Grandfather, let us build a hut. And Big Lion consented. And when they had driven the stakes tin to the ground and had made the walls of the hut, the little hare told Big Lion to climb upon the top while he stayed inside. When he was ready, he called out, Now, Grandfather, begin! And Big Lion passed his rod through the reeds with which the roofs were always covered in that country. The little hare took it and cried, Now it is my turn to pierce them! And as he spoke, he passed the rod back through the reeds and gave Big Lion's tail a sharp poke. What is pricking me so? asked Big Lion. Oh, just a little branch sticking out. I'm going to break it, answered the little hare. But of course, he had done it on purpose, as he wanted to fix the big lion's tail so firmly to the hut that he would not be able to move. In a little while, he gave another prick, and big lion called again, what is pricking me so? This time, the little hare said to himself, he will find out what I am at. I must try some other plan. So he called out, Grandfather, you had better put your tongue here so that the branches shall not touch you. Big Lion did as he was bid, and the little hare tied it tightly to the stakes of the wall. Then he went outside and shouted, Grandfather, you can come down now. And Big Lion tried, but he could not move an inch. Then the little hare began quietly to eat Big Lion's dinner right before his eyes, and paying no attention at all to his growls of rage. When he had quite done, he climbed up on the hut, and blowing his flute, he chanted, Pee-pee! Fall, rain, and hail! And directly, the sky was full of clouds. The thunder roared, and huge hailstones whitened the roof of the hut. The little hare, who had taken refuge within, called out again, Big lion, be quick and come down to dine with me! But there was no answer, not even a growl, for the hailstorm had killed Big Lion. The little hare enjoyed himself vastly for some time, living comfortably in the hut, with plenty of food to eat, and no trouble at all in getting it. But one day, a great wind arose, and flung down the Big Lion's half-dried skin from the roof of the hut. The little hare bounded with terror at the noise, for he thought Big Lion must have come to life again. But on discovering what had happened, he set about cleaning the skin and propped the mouth open with sticks so that he could get through. So, dressed in Big Lion's skin, the little hare started on his travels. The first visit he paid was to the hyenas, who trembled at the sight of him and whispered to each other, how shall we escape from this terrible beast? Meanwhile, the little hare did not trouble himself about them, but just asked where the king of the hyenas lived, 
and made himself quite at home there. Every morning, each hyena thought to himself, Today he is certain to eat me. But several days went by, and they were all still alive. At length, one evening, the little hare, looking around for something to amuse him, noticed a great pot full of boiling water. So he strolled up to one of the hyenas and said, Go and get in. The hyenas dared not disobey, and in a few minutes, was scalded to death. Then the little hare went the round of the village, saying to every hyena he met, Go and get into the boiling water, so that in a little while there was hardly a male left in the village. One day, all the hyenas that remained alive went out very early into the field, leaving only one little daughter at home. The little hare, thinking that he was all alone, came into the enclosure, and wishing to feel what it was like to be a hare again, threw off the big lion's skin and began to jump and dance, singing, I am just the little hare, the little hare, the little hare. I am just the little hare who killed the great hyenas. The little hyena gazed at him in surprise, saying to herself, What? Was it really this tiny beast who put to death all our best people? When suddenly, a gust of wind rustled the reeds that surrounded the enclosure, and the little hare, in a fright, hastily sprang back into the big lion's skin. When the hyenas returned to their homes, the little hyena said to her father, Father, our tribe has very nearly been swept away, and all this has been the work of a tiny creature dressed in the lion's skin. But her father answered, Oh, my dear child, you don't know what you are talking about. She replied, Yes, father, it is quite true. I saw it with my own eyes. The father did not know what to think and told one of his friends who said, Tomorrow we had better keep watch ourselves. And the next day they hid themselves and waited till the little hare came out of the royal hut. He walked gaily towards the enclosure, threw off big lion skin and sang and danced as before. I am just the little hare, little hare, little hare. I am just the little hare who killed the great hyenas. That night, the two hyenas told all the rest, saying, Do you know that we have allowed ourselves to be trampled on by a wretched creature with nothing of the lion about him but his skin? When supper was being cooked that evening, before they all went to bed, the little hare, looking fierce and terrible in big lion skin, said as usual to one of the hyenas, Go and get into the boiling water. But the hyena never stirred. There was silence for a moment. Then a hyena took a stone and flung it with all his force against the lion's skin. The little hare jumped out through the mouth with a single spring and fled away like lightning. All the hyenas in full pursuit uttering great cries as he turned a corner the little hare cut off both his ears so that they should not know him and pretended to be working at a grindstone which lay there the hyena soon came up to him and said tell me friend have you seen the little hare go by no i have seen no one where can he be said the hyenas one to another. Of course, this creature is quite different and not at all like the little hare. Then they went on their way, but finding no traces of the little hare, they returned sadly to their village, saying, To think we should have allowed ourselves to be swept away by a wretched creature like that. The end. Wasn't that just a ride? I think that if we've learned anything from this, it's that hair is a sociopath and that's it and i guess there also could be something said about the actions of humans affecting the animal kingdom but could you imagine something as 
insane as a woman got so thirsty that she drank like an entire river and lake and then the animals first had to ration out water but then one of the animals was all like no forget that and then they drank some of the water but then they framed like their cousin for drinking the water and then they killed their cousin and then they ended up like becoming the second in command to the king of the jungle it's just a lot it's just so much it's so stupid (laughs) oh my god but it was such a wild ride right but like i said hair sociopath i deem him sociopath like at least with rabbit you were like ha 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 well he only did this because he's petty but in this instance hair did this because he was bored like that's the only reason that boy ain't right (laughs) well our second tale is that of the cunning hair and this is the Native American story. So let's see how a Native American trickster differs from an African trickster. In a very cold country, far across the seas, where ice and snow cover the ground for many months in the year, there lived a little hare who, as his father and mother were both dead, was brought up by his grandmother, as he was too young and she was too old to work. They were very poor, and often did not have enough to eat. One day, when the little fellow was hungrier than usual, he asked his grandmother if he might not go down to the river and catch a fish for their breakfast. As the thaw had come and the water was flowing freely again, she laughed at him for thinking that any fish would let itself be caught by a hare, especially such a young one. But as she had the rheumatism very badly and could get no food herself, she let him go if he does not catch a fish he may find something else she said to herself so she told her grandson where to look for the net and how he was to set it across the river but just as he was starting feeling himself quite a man she called him back after all i don't know what is the use of your going my boy for even if you should catch a fish i have no fire to cook it with let me catch my fish and I will soon make you a fire, he answered gaily, for he was young and knew nothing about the difficulties of fire making. It took him some time to haul the net through the bushes and over fields, but at length he reached a pool in the river, which he had often heard was swarming with fish, and here he set the net, as his grandmother had directed him. He was so excited that he hardly slept all night, and at the very first streak of dawn, He ran as fast as ever he could down to the river. His heart beat as quickly as if he had dogs behind him, and he hardly dared to look lest he should be disappointed. Would there be even one fish? And at this thought, the pangs of hunger made him feel quite sick with fear. But he need not have been afraid. In every mesh of the net was a fine fat fish and of course the net itself was so heavy that he could only lift one corner he threw some of the fish back into the water and buried some more in a hole under a stone where he would be sure to find them then he rolled up the net with the rest put it on his back and carried it home the weight of the load caused his back to ache and he was thankful to drop it outside their hut while he rushed in full of joy to tell his grandmother be quick and clean them 
he said, and I will go to those people's tents on the other side of the water. The old woman stared at him in horror as she listened to his proposal. Other people had tried to steal fire before, and few indeed had come back with their lives. But, as contrary to all her expectations, he had managed to catch a number of fish. She thought that perhaps there was some magic about him which she did not know of, and did not try to hinder him. When the fish were all taken out, he fetched the net which he had laid out to dry, folded it up very small, and ran down to the river, hoping that he might find a place narrow enough for him to jump over. But he soon saw that it was too wide for even the best jumper in the world. For a few moments, he stood there, wondering what was to be done. Then there darted into his head some words of a spell, which he had once heard a wizard use while drinking from the river. He repeated them as well as he could remember, and waited for what would happen. In five minutes, such a grunting and a puffing was heard, and columns of water rose into the air, though he could not tell what had made them. Then, round the bend of the stream came fifteen huge whales, which he ordered to place themselves heads to tails, like stepping stones, so that he could jump from one to the other till he landed on the opposite shore. Directly he got there, he told the whales that he did not need them any more, and sat down in the sand to rest. Unluckily, some children who were playing about caught sight of him, and one of them, stealing softly up behind him, laid tight hold of his ears. The hare, who had been watching the whales as they sailed down the river, gave a violent start and struggled to get away. But the boy held on tight and ran back home as fast as he could go. Throw it in the pot, said the old woman, as soon as he had told his story put it in the basket and as soon as the water boils in the pot we will hang it over the fire better kill it first said the old man and the hare listened horribly frightened but still looking secretly to see if there was no hole through which he could escape if he had a chance of doing so yes there was one right in the top of the tent so shaking himself as if with fright he let the end of his net unroll itself a little I wish that a spark of fire would fall on my net whispered he and the next minute a great log fell forward into the midst of the tent causing every one of the spring backwards the sparks were scattered in every direction and one fell on the net making a little blaze in an instant the hare had leaped through the hole and was racing towards the river with men women and children after him there was no time to call back the whales so holding the net tight in his mouth he wished himself across the river then he jumped high into the air and landed safe on the other side and after turning round to be sure that there was no chance of anyone pursuing him he trotted happily home to his grandmother didn't i tell you i would bring you fire said he holding up his net which was now burning briskly but how did you cross the water inquired the old woman oh i just jumped said he and the grandmother asked him no more questions for she saw that he was wiser than she the end <laughs> you ever meet a kid and you're just like how did you do that and they're just like it was easy i just did i just did x y and z and you're just like oh okay fair enough <laughs> so as we can see the hair in this story not a sociopath just kind of doing what they can what they can to survive and honestly that's all anyone can ask for he's not hurting anybody a bunch of other people are trying to hurt him his grandma was like i didn't think you could do it 
but what do I know, apparently? And it's like, yeah, nothing. You know nothing of my skills, Grandmama. Didn't you know I'm a magical hare who overheard the teachings of a wizard? I totally forgot that there was a wizard mentioned in this book, in this story. I totally forgot about the wizard. It was only brief, so I understand why I don't remember, but it was just like, and suddenly, wizard. <sighs> Storytelling is so weird. Well, that concludes our story time for the day. Let's move on to our pop culture reference of the episode, which is Into the Woods. The Broadway version, because I will not be talking about the movie version until I feel the need to talk about the movie version. I mean, I, I, I make that sound so much more angry about it than I need to. I don't think there was anything wrong with the Disney movie version, but it definitely suffered from the Disneyfication of it all. Like, the movie only did one thing that I agreed with in terms of straying from the original script of the show, but I'm not going to talk about that here because it's a lot. So, Into the Woods, the Broadway version. Into the Woods is a musical written by James Lapine and composed by Stephen Sondheim. And if you're a theater kid, you know all about Sondheim and how um, his choices and the way that he writes music and the things that he asks of his singers is a lot. So doing a Sondheim piece can kind of be difficult if you are not trained correctly. But that's neither here nor there. The show is based on multiple fairy tales written by the that have been written and documented by the Brothers Grimm, with the exception of Cinderella, whose version of this story was also inspired by the uh, French version by Charles Perrault. Perrault? Perrault. I haven't looked this up. Anyways, the French version of Cinderella meshed with the German version of Cinderella. So you'll see when we get there. It was also influenced by a book called The Uses of Enchantment, The Meaning and Importance of Fairy Tales, by Bruno Bettelheim. So in this book, Bettelheim analyzes fairy tales through through Freudian psychoanalysis. The uses of enchantment has also inspired two different films, one being the 2011 film Red Riding Hood starring Amanda Seyfried and a 2014 film called Red Kingdom Rising. Now, the Red Riding Hood movie I am familiar with, um, but it came out in a time where I wasn't caring about anything. So I don't think, I think I've seen it, but I definitely didn't pay attention. And I tried to find Red Kingdom Rising, but I could not find any video source of it. I could only find the trailer and read up on the synopsis of what it's about. And wow, it sounds like a trip. So... There's that. Uh, just a little bit more on uses of enchantment. Um, Bruno Bettelheim is like a topic of whether or not he plagiarized his work when it comes to the uses of enchantment. And the consensus seems like not really because basically the way that him and his peers were all using Freudian psychoanalysis to look at fairy tales and they all came to the same conclusion so it really wasn't so much that they were all copying off of each other it's just that they all agreed on the same things and they all wrote papers about the same things which I think is kind of I think it's interesting but also if you just think about it from like a cultural standpoint it was all mostly like white men 
who were coming up with these, I want to say, conclusions on what they found. And just, I think that had this whole thing been a bit more diverse in uh, like the voices and the opinions and the different backgrounds of people who were analyzing these fairy tales from like a psycho a psychological standpoint, I just feel like they would have seen some different things because a lot of the time, the conclusions they come to is like, yeah, I understand. But also sometimes it's like, okay, but you're missing like the reason that this happened and how this affects a character and whether or not this can apply to a real world situation. You know, I mainly have that issue when it comes to Cinderella, but if I get into all the things that make me want to defend Cinderella for the end of time we uh we don't have that kind of time I will talk about that when we get to an episode about Cinderella because I have a lot of opinions I have a lot of feelings and I love Cinderella and I'm sick of some of the hate that she gets mostly mostly because of the way that she is perceived by people who only know her from her Disney version. And even then the hate that her Disney version gets is like so unwarranted and just, it, ugh, 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 I can't. <laughs> so I was, I don't want to give too much away if you're someone who has never seen the Broadway version of Enter the Woods. Um, the first time I ever even heard of this show was when I was in sixth grade and, uh, the high schoolers were doing Into the Woods Junior. And so that kind of reignited my interest in fairy tales again. Um, and so when I went out and I found Into the Woods, the original Broadway cast, <laughs> I was surprised by some of the things that I've seen and it made me just get more into like, well, I don't remember it being that way. Why was it that way? Why is it this way? What does that mean? What, what, what? Just, I had questions. I got answers. And now here we are. I'm here to share my findings with you. So appreciate sixth grade me being so into research for no good reason. <sighs> The good old days, back when I thought the world was full of endless possibilities. So young, so innocent. Well, not, yeah, no, innocent. Kind of optimistic. Then everything just came tumbling down. Anyways, so let's talk about Into the Woods. Into the Woods, a musical that is two acts. And when I say musical, I mean musical. The cast is, is singing 99.9% .9 of the time. And if they are just talking, they're talking in a way that makes it feel like they're singing. So we'll get to it. And like I said, it's a Sondheim show. So Sondheim shows, they're hard. They're hard to perform. You need the right amount of stamina in order to like do them. And honestly, it's been a while since I've even heard of a Sondheim show being done on Broadway anymore. I'll have to look it up, but it's been a while since I've heard of one. So, Act 1 introduces us to our cast of characters, the well-known ones being Cinderella, Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red, and Little Red Riding Hood, but we also get introduced later to Rapunzel. And I like to say Rapunzel's witch, because that's basically what she is. She feels like a stand-in for every witch ever, but she's specifically, she's Rapunzel's witch. 
And the story also revolves around, I would say, the show's original characters, the baker and the baker's wife. Now, the baker and the baker's wife kind of take the place of Rapunzel's parents in this, as in they kind of play out. <sighs> okay, so here's the thing. In the play, the baker and Rapunzel are brother and sister. However, be going by Rapunzel's story, she gets taken by the witch after her mother, having some very interesting pregnancy cravings, is craving, she's craving like all the greens, all the lettuce, all the arugula, all the bok choy, just all of it. She wants greens, greens, and nothing but greens, parsley, peppers, it's the whole thing. And I would love to sing the entire song, but my vocal cords have said no. <laughs> so anyway, so her husband being a good man. Well, okay. He's being a good husband. He's not being a good man because what he decides to do is go to the garden of the witch. The witch is growing all these vegetables in her garden. So homeboy over here decides, oh, I know where I can get some, some greens free of charge. I'll just steal them from my next door neighbor who apparently is a witch because that's going to be a good idea. How could that possibly go wrong? Well, I'll tell you. So he takes some of the greens and at first the witch is like, what are you doing? Why are you still, why are you taking all my stuff? And he's like, please, my wife, she's hungry. She's having these cravings. I don't understand. And she's like, Ugh, fine. But if you're going to steal my, but if you're going to steal from my garden, I'm going to, I'm going to say that you give me the baby that your wife is going to have in exchange for you stealing all the stuff from my garden. And he's like, okay, fine. So then he climbs back over the wall and then bang, flash, lightning crash. And that's another story. Never mind. The witch says that he also stole her beans, her special beans. She let him go. She didn't know he had stolen her beans. She was watching him climb back over the wall. And now she's here saying that she laid a curse on the baker and by making the baker infertile, which also got me thinking, she says she basically says that the family tree becomes a barren one. So I wonder if that also crosses over to Rapunzel. But no, I don't know. Either way, this witch said, "You've had a vasectomy." So <laughs> a magical vasectomy, no children for you. And they're like, "That's not fair." And she's like, "Eh, whoever said life was fair." Which is kind of like this person who, like, you don't know her entire story. You get hints of it throughout the show that, like, some people have done her wrong and it's made her jaded. And she calls it as she sees it. And she will call you out for whatever it is that she feels you need to be called out for. So she says, if you want the curse to be reversed, I'll need to make a potion and you need to give me a cow as white as milk, the cape as red as blood, the slipper as pure as gold, the hair as yellow as corn. And they're like, okay, fine. So the baker's all like, okay, I'm gonna go get it. And the wife is, and the baker's wife is all like, um, we'll go get it. This is our problem. But he's like, no, this is my problem. She cursed my family tree. And she's like, yeah, but we want to have a child and I'm kind of important for that. So it's a, it's a whole thing. And oh, also while this is happening, before this all happens, uh, Little Red Riding Hood came into the cottage, into their store, their bakery, and was all like, I need to go take this stuff to my grandma for, cause she's sick. 
So she's basically playing out, everyone is playing out their stories in the first act. Cinderella wants to go to the ball because she wants to have fun. Please, someone, just let this poor girl have fun. She wants to go twerk. Uh, Jack and his mom live in poverty, so he has to sell his cow. And his cow is his best friend, so he doesn't want to. But they need to eat, so go sell the cow. Oh my god, it's only those three, huh? Until we meet Rapunzel. Yeah. It seems like it's so much more. It's... It feels like it's a lot when you're watching it, but not in a way that overwhelms you. More like in a way I'm like, ooh, this is getting serious. Let me munch on my popcorn. So anyway, Baker and his wife, they go on this quest to get all these items. Well, these items belong to all the other cast members of the show. So the cow is white as milk, Jack's best friend, Milky White. Uh, the cape is white as blood, Little Red Riding Hood's cape. The slipper is pure as gold, uh, Cinderella's shoe. Um, in this story, Cinderella doesn't have glass slippers. She has golden slippers. Um, and then hair is yellow as corn. That makes you think, oh, it's Rapunzel's hair because Rapunzel has long, beautiful blonde hair. But, so, hmm. I don't want to say but. I'm trying really hard not to spoil some of the like juicier bits, but at the same time, I feel like I kind of have to because they're very important for the show and for like a psychological standpoint. But okay, so Baker goes after the uh, cow and the cape. So they end up getting the cow from Jack and they exchange the cow for the sack of magic beans. Um, so Jack goes and he takes the beans to his mom and his mom was like, are you stupid? Don't answer that. You are. And she tosses the beans out. But then, of course, the beanstalk starts growing and stuff. And so he's like, I'm going to climb it. Jack just looks at this beanstalk and is like, bet. All right. So then Little Red Riding Hood, as she's going trying to get to her grandma's house she gets like she ends up meeting the big bad the big bad wolf not the big bad wolf but the wolf when it's little red riding hood it's just the wolf when it's the big bad wolf it's the three little pigs so anyway so she meets the wolf and he's all like what are you doing where are you going and she's like oh i have all this stuff that i need to take to my granny she lives over here on west street down by the river and he's like thank you for the direction little girl hey i think your grandma would like some flowers and they'll make her feel better grandmas love flowers and she's like but my mom told me not to go off the path and he's like do you always have to obey your mother so anyway, she goes ahead and she's picking flowers. And while she's doing that, he runs off to go to grandma's house and where he presumably eats her. And you know the story. You know the story. Everyone knows the story of Little Red Riding Hood. These are all stories that I'm going to end up reading on the podcast anyway, but they're so popular. You know what's going to happen. So <laughs> while the baker's wife is left with a cow, um, Milky White actually ends up running away because... Uh, the baker's wife ends up meeting Cinderella and Cinderella is running away from the ball. Now the party over at the Royal castle is three nights long. So she goes each night, but on the first night she, she's ended up dancing with the prince and she, and she was like, Oh no, I need to get home before my horrible step family and my dad who kind of sucks <laughs> does gets back home before I do so that they don't suspect that I've been sneaking out to go party. 
honestly, Cinderella just wants to party. She just wants to go out to the club and twerk a little bit. Let Cinderella twerk. Anyway. So she's doing this, but she's wearing high heels and running through the woods. So, of course, she falls. And so the baker stops her, lets her catch her breath. And they gossip about what it's like to be like at the castle and at a party at the castle. And ooh, Cinderella, you danced with the prince. What was he like? And Cinderella's like, I mean, he was a guy and he was there. And I mean, it was nice. She was just like, she went and she had a good time. But at the same time, she's not like obsessing over it the way that uh, the baker's wife kind of is because like, it's a party at the castle and the baker's wife is a peasant. She would give anything to go to that party. It's the party of the century, okay? Imagine if Ariana Grande held a party over at Cinderella Castle and Disney World and was going to put on a live concert and Megan Thee Stallion was there and Lizzo was there. Everybody was there and you couldn't go because you ain't got money. That's what this party was. So, <laughs> so anyway, Cinderella's like, look, I got to get home. So she's running, she runs off, but the baker sees that like, oh my God, you have golden slippers. Give me your shoe. And Cinderella's like, no. So she runs away and it's basically the same as like the movie. And so, like I said, it's the, it's a common, the Cinderella story is a combination of the Grimm's brothers and uh, the French version written by the man whose name I can't remember. I, I vaguely remember, but I'm going to butcher it. So I'm not going to say it until we have to. So by the third night of the party, Cinderella has ended up, she ended up losing one of her slippers because the prince was getting sick of her running away from him. So he put, they call it pitch, but it's basically like tar. He puts tar on the castle steps and she's like stuck. And she talks about how, while she was there, she was thinking about how, well, if he's going through this much trouble to get to know me, then maybe this whole thing isn't so bad. So she just, she takes, she leaves one of her shoes behind and she's running through the forest again. And she comes across the baker's wife again, who is now looking after, well, actually, no, at this point, Milky White, the cow, died. They're like, oh my God, where are we going to find another cow that's white as milk? And ironically, Milky White could not produce milk but anyway that's neither here nor there well it's kind of a big deal in the show but whatever 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 so they are all just like back in the woods there's a mysterious man who's been trying to help everybody get their things together and he seems to know the witch and the witch seems to know him and you're just like who was this guy and why why is he here what is he doing who are you, mysterious man? That is his actual name in the show. He is the mysterious man. So, <laughs> so while he's there, he's, they're all in the forest. They're all in the woods. Uh, the baker's wife trades her shoes for Cinderella's one slipper so that Cinderella can run home faster. Um, oh, and at this point, she's gone to Rapunzel's tower and she's, poor Rapunzel, Rapunzel the entire time has been trapped in this tower and she's singing her song and what the Cinderella's prince's brother who I'm going to recall who I'm going to call RP Rapunzel's prince RP has overheard them 
has overheard the witch saying rapunzel rapunzel let down your hair and they basically follow through that fairy tale where uh rp is over there visiting rapunzel and things happen and the witch is all like oh you've had visitors coming over and you've been seeing other people that aren't me your own mother how dare you rapunzel is evicted from the tower and the witch cuts off the rest of her hair and then sends her away into a desert and in another act of revenge she pretends to be rapunzel this is kind of off camera um off camera off stage like there's a narrator throughout the entire show who tells you like about some of the missing pieces about what's happened so that like you still know what you know what's going on you're gonna know what's going on so rp ends up encountering the witch the witch pushes him out of the tower window he ends up being blinded because he lands in a briar patch and it like pokes out his eyes or whatever so he has to wander the woods rp is wandering the woods rapunzel is wandering a desert it's a mess so anyways the witch comes back to the woods where jack the baker and his wife and the mysterious man are and jack wants milky white back because that's his best friend and he was like i went up to the land of the giants and i stole some gold so here's some gold give me back my cow but then it's like and the cow kind of died and the witch is like what do you mean the cow died just go dig it up and i'll resurrect it and they were like you can do that and it's like, what part of which do you not understand? I don't. I made you infertile. Of course, I can bring a cow back from the dead. So they do. And they and also, so at this point, the reason that the witch had to have the baker and his wife go out and collect the ingredients is because she can't have touched any of the ingredients. Otherwise, they won't work. So she had been touching Rapunzel's hair. So when they feed the hair to the cow, it doesn't work. And... At first, she's like, what the heck? But the baker, he had been carrying like a corn. He had been carrying a stalk of corn with him the entire time. And he went around comparing the hair of the corn to the hair of all the other blondes in the show who are basically just Cinderella's stepmother and her stepsisters. And so, and so the mysterious man is like, oh no, just feed the hair on the corn to the cow. So the potion works and bam, the witch goes from being old and ugly and having like a hunch to being a tall, beautiful Bernadette Peters. It's Bernadette Peters, everybody. We love Bernadette Peters in this house. So, so bing, bang, boom. Witch is all like, okay, you can have baby now. And everybody else plays out their stories. Cinderella gets her prince. Um, Blue Ray Riding Hood has learned her lesson jack well jack gets his cow back jack has not learned his lesson yet oh wait no yes he has there's been a lot that happened jack jack goes through his story too but i don't think he learned any lessons in, in this instance i don't think he learned anything yet um so it all ends the giant was a problem but jack cuts down the beanstalk and it kills the giant and everybody lives happily ever after um, oh yeah, Rapunzel and RP reunite, and <laughs> it turns out that while Rapunzel was away, she ended up giving birth to twins, and we don't know where these twins came from, but she ends up crying, and her tears clean out the thorns in the 
Prince's eyes so he can see again. And he's like, Rapunzel. And she's like, hi. And she's, and he's like, you have babies. And she was like, yeah. And then they just like ran off together. And I was like, okay, I guess that counts as a happily ever after. No one seems mad. <laughs> so they do, they break out into song. Act one ends. There's an intermission. And we all take a break and just digest what just happened. And it's like, oh, everything kind of worked out in the end. And then act two happens. And in act two, everybody is, is after everybody's happily ever after. Like the baker and his wife have their baby. Um, Cinderella is a princess now. Jack and his mom have money and don't have to worry about starving to death anymore. But, and there has to be a but. The baker and his wife feel like they might need to expand their home a bit because they don't have enough room for three people, they're realizing. Uh, Cinderella doesn't really have any problems. She just wants to host another party. I'm telling you, Cinderella just wants to twerk, okay? Let Cinderella twerk. Dang it. Cinderella wants to throw another party. We learn that things aren't going so well with Rapunzel. Now, this is where like some of the psychology behind fairy tale characters kind of comes in, because if you think about it, in this, in kind of like the history of all Grimm's Brothers fairy tales and all the most popular fairy tales that you can think of, Rapunzel and Cinderella, I think, are in like the top five of having it the worst. Like Cinderella manages to be well adjusted, but Rapunzel, having dealt with being in isolation for so long. And then having several traumatic experiences happen to her in the span of like, who knows how long. Her prince says that she's prone to bits of screaming and crying and just hysterics. And personally, I see that that Rapunzel is basically suffering from PTSD and is probably suffering from postpartum depression. That's my take on it. Some other people agree with me. I don't know if that was 100% intentional or if it was just going to be like, yeah, she's actually kind of crazy. I don't know. Uh, It would be nice to know that, actually. <sighs> but either way, Rapunzel, not happy. She's the only character in this entire ordeal who turned out her happily ever after wasn't that great. Like, yeah, sure, things worked out for her in the end, but that doesn't mean that her mental problems are all solved. And she actually explains that very explicitly to the to the witch by telling her, like, you've ruined my life and I'll never be happy. And the witch replies, I was just trying to be a good mother. And there's the Freud. So now there's a new problem. There's a new giant who happens to be running around the kingdom She's gone and she's trampled over uh, the witch's garden. So the witch goes to the baker and his wife and is like, we have to figure something out because there's a giant in our midst and we got to figure out what it wants. And so they all go and they look for the giant and the giant is over at the castle and is all like, give me the lad who killed my husband. And it's like, oh no, it's the wife of the giant that was killed in act one. So, of course, Jack's mother is like, excuse you, you are not going to be trying to take revenge on my child. But lots of things happen and Jack's mother ends up dying and then Rapunzel comes upon the scene and she also ends up dying in what feels like might have been suicide. So a lot happens and Red Riding Hood is also there. <laughs> 
she Ray Riding Hood is currently like the youngest person in the cast at this point because Jack is nowhere to be found and so she kind of is just like okay well the giants killed my mom uh, the giants killed my granny and now I have to witness a murder and a suicide and I don't know how to feel about anything so it was all just one big mess and so the royal family that is there and witnessed all this they like we're gonna go into hiding and it's like oh great look at the royals just going away not dealing with the problems but like it was the royal family of people that we don't care about like cinderella's stepmother and her stepsisters and her deadbeat dad so it's fine uh meanwhile oh yeah rapunzel's prince was there and witnessed everything and he was trying to keep Rapunzel safe and he but oh it was just it's just so sad like honestly they were the only Rapunzel and Rapunzel's prince I was actually kind of rooting for them I was really rooting for them because when you compare Rapunzel's prince to Cinderella's prince Rapunzel's prince is okay Cinderella's prince kind of a jerk a duty head if you will and we're going to talk about that in a few more minutes. Well, seconds. So anyway, everyone's like, okay, well, I guess it's up to us to defeat the giant. So the witch, she wants to just go ahead, get rid of the giant by giving Jack over to the giant. But everybody else is like, no, we're not going to sacrifice this boy just to appease this murderous giant. And the witch is like, so you just don't want to survive. Oh, okay. And they're just like, no, there has to be another way. So they go ahead and they say, maybe we should just kill the giant. And of course, this brings up some issues for Little Red Riding Hood, who's like, we have to resort to more murder just to avoid another murder. Like, it's all just murder, murder, murder. It's a problem. And I can understand why she would be like, why are we dealing with so much murder right now? It's a lot. She's a young, she's young. She's probably like 14, 15. I don't know how old she's supposed to be in this show. You can never tell. And you just know that she's not 18. So she's just like, that sounds terrible. But at the same time, like, Little Red Riding Hood has killed the wolf and is now wearing his fur as a cloak instead of her red cape. And now she carries a knife around for protection. So that's a commentary on how women need to protect themselves from predators. That's, I don't know if that's a Freudian thing. It's, but it's definitely a real world application. So they all just, they all just, and then they all get into an argument later about like, whose fault is it that the giant, that the second giant is even here in the first place? Because Jack chopped down the first cherry tree, the first cherry tree. He's not George Washington. <laughs> because Jack is the one who chopped down the first beanstalk. So where did the second beanstalk come from? Well, it turns out the second beanstalk came from uh, the baker's wife tried to convince Cinderella to give her her shoe in place of one final magic bean. But Cinderella throws it away like, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. But then they turn on the witch and being like, you're the one who grew the beans in the first place. And the witch is all like, we don't have time for all of this. And I'm sick of all of you. So you know what? Take these beans and deal with your giant. I'm leaving. I want my powers back. I don't care if I become ugly anymore. And then it depends on who you ask, but some say she turns into a uh, a pit of tar 
and some say that she just disappears. I don't know if she dies in the instance. I don't. I can't tell if she dies. I can't tell if she gets her powers and just teleports away. I don't know what we're supposed to infer from all that. So I'm going to leave that up for audience interpretation. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about the, witch, the witch's exit from the situation. But goodbye, Bernadette Peters. We love you. Don't go. Okay. Anyway, so Bernadette Peters, gone. Everybody else, fine. We're going to just go ahead with the plan. They devise a plan to trap the giant, blind her, and then beat her until she falls down and goes boom. So they do. And uh, Jack and the baker, they end up going up um, into a tree and they're going to be on offense while uh, Red and Cinderella are going to stay on the ground and distract uh, the giant and keep her occupied until they talk to her and get her to stand in the place that she needs to be trapped in. So while they're doing this, Jack, uh, Jack is told that his mother is dead by the baker and she was basically murdered. And he's like, fine, then I'm going to kill her killer. And the baker's like, that's not going to solve anything. So and Cinderella and Red talk about how basically Red's mom isn't there to give her instructions anymore, but that doesn't mean that she's going to be alone through all this. So it kind of made me cry because it started making me think of my mom and how she's not with me anymore. And I really needed her instructions for life. But anyway, so it's all about the loss of a mother and just remembering that just because she's gone doesn't mean that you're alone. There are going to be other people in, out there who can help you. Um, so that was a nice moment. And then the giant comes and they kill the giant. And Red, Jack, the baker, Cinderella, the baby, all decide, well, we'll stay here, rebuild, and we'll just go ahead and become one big family. Oh, and you're probably wondering, okay, but what about the baker's wife? And what do you mean I'll become one big fam family? Cinderella's married. Well, while they were trying to figure out what to do about the giant, and while they were looking for Jack, um, the baker's wife was went out alone into the woods, but Cinderella's prince came upon her, and they started talking. And one thing led to another, and they had their moment in the woods, you know. And you're probably wondering, oh, scandalous. Yes. And then after the baker's wife is all like, that was weird. Why did I do that? Oh, okay. Well, I won't do that again. It was weird. It was an experience. And now I'm going to go find my husband and my baby. But then the giant who's still traipsing around ends up squashing her. She doesn't end up squashing the baker's wife directly, but a tree ends up falling on the baker's wife and that's what kills her. And so while Cinderella is with the group in this story cinderella has the ability to talk to birds so the birds came to her and were like hey we found out that we saw your husband cheating on you and she was like i don't care so i don't know what that means i don't know if she was already over the marriage or maybe she just really didn't take kindly to being cheated on and was like i can't even try to focus on that right now because right now i'm looking after another woman's baby because at this point she so this story is a mess and i'm so sorry that it seems like i'm all over the place 
but the problem is I don't want to spoil it and I don't want to be too linear because this, while the show is linear, I just, I just don't want to spoil everything, you know? But either way, the prince and Cinderella end up meeting each other and Cinderella confronts him and they basically agreed to tell everyone that Cinderella died while the giant was attacking and she's free to do whatever she wants now. And he's free to do whatever he wants now because it turns out that while him and our and RP were traipsing around being princes or whatever, they came upon Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, respectively. And um Yeah. Anyway, let's just say these Prince Charmings only charming. Loyal only for a little bit. I mean, it's better than like I said, I I rooted for Rapunzel and her prince more than I did Cinderella and her prince because at least at least Rapunzel's prince tried. Whereas you could just tell that Cinderella's prince was kind of a horn dog. So there's that. Um so yeah, everyone agrees to live together, they're gonna rebuild, and they've all learned different lessons and at the beginning of the show, when it comes to going into the woods, they're more optimistic. They're like, it's just the woods. It's just trees. I mean, there's a path. We can find it. It'll be fine. And now they're like, well, the woods have been trampled by a giant. So they look a little different now. And things are a little bit darker. And the world is a little bit more scary. So there's just a lot that there's a lot of learning. But you don't have to do the learning. You're just watching them learn. I mean, you can learn something if you want to. You don't have to, but I feel like you're going to end up learning anyway because if you consume this media, you're going to you're going to learn something. It might be the lessons that the characters learn or it might be the gruesome way in which the stepsisters uh try to get their foot try to get their feet to fit into Cinderella's golden slippers because let me tell you, that was my first time encountering that problem and i was like oh well disney didn't do that so yeah <laughs> into the woods into the woods into the woods and out of the woods and home before dark i mean you can try to get home before dark but thank you guys so much for listening to do you know this story episodes update on the 8th and 28th of every month you can contact me via email at jory i know this story at gmail.com you can go to the facebook page do you know the story and join the group we know the story as well as the discord we know the story as well if you want to see any more of my ramblings about anything and everything those are the places where you can contact me and you can get my personal opinions or just, you know, start a discussion with me about anything and everything and with other listeners. You can also hit me up on Twitter at the Do You Know This pod or at Freeman Jory. 
beans? The special beans! I let him go. I didn't know he'd stolen my beans. I was watching him crawl back over the wall and then bang, crash, and lightning flash, and... Well, that's another story. Never mind. Anyway, at last the big day came. I made my claim. Oh, don't take away the baby they preached and screeched. But I did, and I hit her where she'll never be reached. Your father cried. Your mother died. For extra measure, I admit it was a pleasure. I said sorry, but I'm still not mollified. And I laid a little spell on them. You too, son. That your family tree will always be a barren one. <laughs> so there's no more fuss and there's no more seeds and my garden thrives. You should see my nectarines. But I'm telling you the same I tell kings and queens. Don't ever, ever, never mess around with my greens. Especially the beans. <laughs>